Welcome to Coin Talk. I'm Aaron Lammer here in the Crypto Cave with my co-host Jay Kang. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. We talked about Gemini announcing that Zcash they will become the first licensed Zcash exchange. This means you will be able to trade your hard-earned U.S. dollars for Zcash. Uh, we also talked about a Supreme Court decision, which more or less opens the door for sports gambling, gambling of all kinds uh, in all the states of this fine country, probably signaling the uh, moment of the downfall of uh, my co-host, Jay Kang. We also talked about Jay's visit to Ethereal, which is part of New York City's Blockchain Week. He went and attended a art auction that included some crypto kitties. I highly recommend this discussion. Uh, we're brought to you in partnership with Medium. Medium has a membership program. If you find yourself reading all kinds of stuff there, like perhaps the transcripts from the show, consider becoming a member. It's five bucks a month. All the stuff is free on the internet. You get to read a certain amount and then you need to start paying. I have an account. I enjoy it. I think you will too. All of our episodes are at medium.com slash cointalk. Uh, you can get an email to us, hi at cointalk.show. Big guests coming up soon. Tune in. Earlier this week, we had the first edition of our book club, uh, second edition of it, which will be on chapters four through seven of Safadine Amus is the Bitcoin standard will be coming out next week. We're getting all kinds of episodes out to you. If you're enjoying it, rate us on iTunes, tell your friends, and uh, generally, uh, you know, spread the word. Okay, here's the show. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, May 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $8,726. Jay, in the crypto cave. Back at it. I understand that you are out of patches. I'm out of nicotine patches, which I was not expecting. I generally have it lined up, you know, like uh, like baby diapers where you make sure that you're not out of them. Yeah. But for some reason, I went to my car this morning and the patches that I thought were in my console were gone. So either somebody robbed me very specifically Rob, my car of nicotine patches, or I misplace them. Should we be announcing the price of Bitcoin and your patch level at the start of each show? <laughs> if I sound extremely irritable, if I start yelling at you about something, Aaron, please, it's not me. It's kind of terrifying to think that this is the you that's on the patch that I interact with. Oh, yeah. Well, this one, like, trust me. Like, I I could fly off the handle for any reason right now. You just try me. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to, I'll do my best on, on that front. Um, <laughs> you want to do a little news? Yeah. Um, actually, I'll do the first one that just jumped out at me. It's been a long time since one of my bags has just spiked out of nowhere against the market. This is stuff that got me into crypto in the first place. Uh, waking up and seeing like a 30% jump in one of your bags. Yeah, it was like if you planted a bunch of seeds or something like that. Exactly. And then you woke up one morning and one was like a full-grown marijuana plant. <laughs> exactly. And you're like, I don't even remember planting marijuana, but great. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. I actually did that in my own yard. I bought $5 worth of sugar snap pea seeds on Amazon, which is... I'm going to tell uh, for a preview for your listeners, that is way too many sugar snap pea seeds. That's <laughs> enough to like have like your own like sugar snap pea operation. So by the end, like I had soaked them. So I just started throwing them all over the yard. So I'm hoping in like in, in a few months, there'll just be weird snap peas growing in strange quarters and in the trash pile. Isn't that, isn't that littering? Like, aren't it's you... my own yard though. You don't own, it's not your lot. Yard. Who's going to be mad if some sugar snap peas uh, like pop out? Actually, I think a couple of my neighbors listen to this podcast. So. Yeah, okay. <laughs> let's, let's, let's be very clear about this. This is not Aaron's yard by himself. He There's... shares it with at least 10 other people, <laughs> and he is throwing sugar snap peas everywhere. <laughs> uh, so the sugar snap pea slash marijuana plant that I'm referring to is, of course, Zcash. Yeah. We're dating ourselves here, but this morning Zcash spiked 30%, which used to happen to my portfolio a lot. It's been a while. And my first instinct was like, wait, why is this happening? You know, like, it's not like the New York Times front page has like an explanation of why Zcash spiked. And I like Googled like Zcash. I was like, I, did, I don't know what happened. Finally, we asked our good friend uh, Ledger Status and he informed us as uh, 
you and I are not always up to the to the minute on crypto news that Zcash had been added to Gemini. Yeah. Or Gemini announced that it was becoming the first licensed Zcash exchange. Wait, so do you own Zcash? Right I do. Now? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I think you actually talked me into it. I became such like a Monero fanatic. Then I was like, it would really suck. Like, what if like I was right about the privacy coin hypothesis, but it's like not Monero, it's a different one. So I I hedged myself pretty extensively in the uh, privacy coin area. Oh yeah, well you have to do that, I think. Yeah. I think the argument was between is the sort of academic background and the technological interest in Zcash going to win out over the current functionality and sort of the quote-unquote coolness of Monero. Yeah. And at that point, to me at least, it seemed like a coin flip. And then there's a bunch of like long short horses like way back in the pack that you could also throw. Your or like at. shit like Verge, which was a privacy coin. Sure. Or Sumo. Dash, that was very... Sumo. Like, <laughs> no, not Sumo. <laughs> oh, I'm back on the Sumo. We can talk about that wait, later. Wait, really? Let's wait. Let's, wait, okay. let's um, tease it. Speaking of fucking hats. Later in this program, we'll discuss how Aaron got back in the Sumo game. <laughs> You've lost your title. So Zcash up about 20, 30% against Bitcoin. I don't know where it's going to land. But this is kind of a big deal, right? The fact that you can go in and trade cold hard US dollars for a privacy coin that's totally anonymous and untraceable. I think so. I mean, it's uh, it's different than adding Litecoin, which I believe they also added today, yeah. right? Which uh, is very expected and nobody can come up with a usage for. Yeah. Um, now, the no- amount of Zcash that's actually being used out in the world is very, 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 very inconsequential, as we explained. And I think you and I did a Zcash deep dive. Yeah, we did a Zcash and Monero deep dive. And yeah, there's also not a ton of it out there. Yeah. I did notice pretty early on Zcash is being mined at one of the more professional levels. Like it's one of the coins that you can get dedicated miners for and that there does seem to be an ecosystem building around it. And then there was this other strand of thought. And I remember people said this, which said like, Coinbase will never feature a privacy coin. It's out of the question. Like as if it was like a a line too far to go in America to let people trade a dollar for a privacy coin. First of all, Coinbase has not. I mean, we're talking about Gemini, which is a different project. I think it is interesting in theory. I think the number of people who will be buying Zcash and then using it as an anonymous transaction, as we discussed before, the other person has to also have a Zcash wallet, and then you have to turn on the masking of it before you do the transaction, Yeah, and then you can use it, and then it works that way. The number of people who are doing that because Gemini offers it, who wouldn't have been doing it in the past, I think is probably close to zero. But, but wait, to slightly push back against that, all you need is two Gemini customers, right? Doesn't every Gemini customer have a Zcash wallet now? No. Oh, no. Only no, if no, you choose no. You to. Need, you basically need the actual desktop wallet to, to, do, a, to do a masked Right, okay. Uh, so you could, couldn't do it purely within Gemini. Yeah, like if I sent you Zcash through Gemini, you couldn't do it that way. Okay. But I do think it is a at a time when Japan seems to be threatening to shut down a lot of the privacy coins and take them off exchanges. I do think it is a good sign that the probably second most trusted exchange in the United States has started offering Zcash uh, because it seems to at least be an endorsement from the establishment or the crypto establishment that privacy coins are okay. And and now the cat's out of the bag. I mean, I was a little shocked, honestly, because I thought that people didn't really want to mess with that stuff. It's a more extreme form of cryptocurrency. We're not totally clear where we stand on the ones that were already changing fiat to. The next exchanges that are going to come around are going to be comfortable broaching this topic and potentially crossing the same line. It kind of speaks to competition within the exchanges that this happened at all. I guess so, but I also think that part of the reason why they chose Zcash is not necessarily because of the privacy but because the team is like in the same way that we were talking about last episode with Zero X and how the team is very Silicon Valley rubber yep. stamp. Like you can't find a more illustrious team of cryptographers in the entire crypto space. They've got their bona fides. All, all bona fides, like up and down. Like everybody is a professor of something at Johns Hopkins <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or MIT or whatever. Like they have real academics and real like sort of researchers working on this stuff. And I think that actually probably has more to do with Gemini's stamp of it than anything else i i think i think you're onto something there like when we started talking about the good crypto versus bad crypto 
if Zcash did get filed into the bad crypto, which I guess in the Japanese sense it is, it's the best of the bad crypto. Like yeah. it's the most reputable bad crypto. Even Monero, which I'm a fan of, has a little bit more of a like anarchist fuck you punk rock kind of attitude i don't know if that's true or if you're like extrapolating something deep within yourself that you which was true about you there's definitely <laughs> some assholery going on over in the monero camp sure. and whatever uh, zcash's attitude is like the first thing you hear about are all these academic bona fides and it will be interesting if these university qualifications are what allows privacy coins to flourish in America if the academy is the person who like brought about the apocalypse. That that narrative doesn't necessarily work our, with our current tech narratives, right? No. Mark Zuckerberg dropped out of Harvard and yep. like we're supposed to think more highly of him because he dropped out of Peter Harvard. Peter Thiel will pay you not to go to college. Yeah. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard, yep. right? So it is interesting that basically people who are like 14 years into their higher education are the ones that are being rubber stamped by crypto. And I think the reason why this is, is because crypto needs anything that people can glom onto that makes it seem like a real project. Yeah. And because there's no product to show. Yeah. Like Facebook had a product that was better than MySpace at the time and was better than Friendster. But with crypto, all there is is a reputation of the people doing this thing that like you're not going to actually use functionally. And so you have to believe in the project based on the credentials of people who are doing it. I think about, I'm not saying that there's anything scammy about Zcash, but there's certainly scamming within crypto. And generally, when you see academia crossing the path of scammers, it's being used as a way to legitimize scammery. You know, some guy is on like the self-help circuit and he's like, I'm a PhD from blah, blah, blah. Like, from the University of Toronto. Yeah, so, okay. <laughs> 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 like that could be another battleground, I think, within cryptos as different academic researchers yeah. coming to back certain coins. But yeah. I think it's a huge bullish sign for Zcash. I feel like they just jumped into a new class. They're, I not the bad, they're not bad crypto anymore. I agree, and I think that uh, they this might free them from some of the weird interpersonal stuff and the Zuko stuff that has been you know, kind of affecting their whole existence, which there always seems to be some drama around Zcash. Yep. And, and that's probably good for both of them, honestly. It like gets people interested. Yeah. The other thing is that I think that Gemini finally offering something other than Bitcoin and Ethereum and offering Zcash, which is not offered on Coinbase, it might help them. It's a, certainly a differentiating factor in terms of like what you're signing up for. It's almost like we're seeing these Coinbase and Gemini appearing as full other ecosystems and they imagine whole other worlds. Definitely Coinbase went into like Ethereum world yeah. and that's like where it's pointed. And we will talk about Ethereum world a well, little bit yeah. after later in this episode. If you're episodes. wondering <laughs> what you can buy in Ethereum world, you're definitely going to want to hear what Jay has to say later in this program. But Gemini is obviously not going to go for Ethereum world. I don't think you want to compete with the founders of Toshi yeah. and going how F you can go. But Zcash presents a whole different audience that has privacy people, anarchists, deep libertarians. It really like speaks to where they could go with yep. that stuff. What one of the Winklevosses said when he added it was like, yeah, Bitcoin was great, but this is like taking it further. I think that Brian Armstrong thinks of Ethereum as Bitcoin, but further. And the Winklevosses are signaling that they think of privacy as the further. And if we ever see a true flipping event, it's going to be along one of these axes. Like if something replaces Bitcoin, it's going to be because it reaches that mass exchange state and people think it's superior. So I wouldn't be surprised, like, I'm going to call my shot here, would not be surprised to see Zcash go on a crazy run up for the next few months. Hmm. It's almost convinced me to buy Zcash, but not quite. I thought you were going to say it would almost have convinced you to short Zcash just to spite me. <laughs> <laughs> you can short it on BitMEX. So. so, Jay, I understand you went on a little field trip. Wait, wait, no. Before we do that, I want to talk about a story that is fresh out the presses, which hot. is hot, hot out the presses. This morning, the Supreme Court of the United States, and I feel like we should have an applause sound effect here. They legalized sports gambling in the state of New Jersey. Now, it's a somewhat thorny, complicated case that we don't have to really talk about, but essentially what the court did was they removed federal oversight, and now states can decide individually if they want sports gambling 
in their state. And so New Jersey has already said yes. I don't know what the exact timeline is going to be before sports gambling opens up there, but several states are going to start offering sports betting. You're going to see the emergence of little like storefronts in which you can go in, like William Hills in, in London, yeah. and play sports bets. OTBs, the saddest place in the world. Uh, well, not if you're winning, then it's very <laughs> happy. But yes, from an outsider's perspective, they're neither clean nor sanitary, nor do they have good energy about them. Um, I feel like if I was trying to draw an illustration of bad vibes, I would just be like a shot through the window of an OTB. It's a bit cliche, though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually think that the link to crypto here is is fascinating, and it is because right now, if you go online and you go to any large sports book, so whether it is Bookmaker, which is a European one, Sportsbook.au, which is another huge one that has a long history, Bovada. All these things take many, many forms of cryptocurrency, and then they they just like sort of convert it for you. And so if you put in one Bitcoin, then they'll credit $8,000 or $8,500, whatever the price is at the time, to your account. So large amounts of gambling are already happening with crypto. And I feel like now that it is legal in these places, that if you see any sort of adoption of crypto, I actually think it'll, through to like a brick and mortar setting, it will be because these, I think these casinos and these sportsbooks, when they open up, will almost certainly take crypto. We've discussed before how there are these long shot future uses of crypto, like, oh, we're going to pay the electric grid and it's going to like auto leverage the cheapest electricity. And it's like, cool, could I do that now? Definitely not. <laughs> could I gamble with crypto now? Yes. It's the real first use case. Yeah. Even when you think about some of the more utopian elements like Ethworld dApps, it's like, well, what could you actually use a smart contract for right now, right here? It's like to settle a bet, to yeah. settle futures betting. It strikes me that what you're describing, which is basically the same people who've already been in the sports betting game coming legally to America and allowing Bitcoin betting, is only the beginning. I would expect that people will want to decentralize these in the same way as exchanges and create future betting centers that actually use some of the smart contracts. Well, now that it's legal, you don't need to decentralize it, right? So the decentralization doesn't matter. But what matters is that you want to build a massively responsive, quick, and creative infrastructure for the millions of people who are going to now start sports betting legally, right? Yeah. So if this is not just Nevada... Now you have Pennsylvania, you have New Jersey, you have the other California, Wisconsin, Texas, Oklahoma, all these states start to open up sports betting, then you can bet in those states. And so will cryptocurrency, will blockchain companies be able to come in there and say, we want to build this thing for you? The people don't necessarily have to use this token to bet that we're creating. So if they issue an ERC-20 token or whatever, a, a lot of these sort of casino ideas are, if they can get into that market and they can build an infrastructure for it, then I think that's massive for crypto. Now, I don't know if they can, but if they can, then you actually have real economies that are working off of some blockchain or another. Well, they certainly have enough money to give it a pretty good shot. We've discussed how we think the next generation of exchanges will be funded by Silicon Valley and people are going to be in a lighting money on fire state trying to get new crypto customers. The people who I can realistically imagine competing with them are the major gambling sites. And yeah, if the reason that you originally buy Bitcoin is to like lay money on a like NFL parlay, you still got a crypto wallet on your phone. You yeah. know, like it doesn't really matter what the beachhead is. But I do think the decentralized exchanges can play in a role. Like you're a much more experienced gambler than, than I am. But I noticed that the fees are pretty significant, that you're paying the VIG is not insignificant in these betting situations. And what we're seeing with some of these like decentralized Ethereum exchanges where they're doing these like totally frictionless swaps and trades, couldn't someone eventually build a system for gambling where the house takes a lot less money and the whole thing just runs as a giant piece of software? Well, I mean, the problem is they would lose money even if the cost were zero, right? Right. Um, what they can do is they can have all bets be paramutual. And what that means is that if you have enough people entering a giant pool and there are smart contracts, 
it could just be like if I bet you ten dollars, for example, on the Warriors game tonight. Yeah, I I will only bet you in Ripple, but yes, <laughs> yes. If I if we do our standard bet and yeah. it's like nineteen Ripple, yeah, we don't pay each other a vig, right? Because why would we? There's no nobody is assuming giant loss. Yeah, uh, we just pay that cockroach that lives in the studio. <laughs> yeah, we we give him a half a Ripple. <laughs> Th- throw him a little croissant. <laughs> Has he come back? Oh yeah. Oh my god! Have you tried to kill him? I, I tried to catch him because I wanted to add him to our show art. Oh, you're gonna take a photo of it. I could have killed him, but I instead tried to take him alive, and he disappeared again. <laughs> I'm glad my feet are up on this. Shit, if I this wait, if I catch that cockroach and I have a little terrarium in here with like a little Lambo, would that offend you? No, no, okay. no. I don't want to kill the cockroach either. I mean, he's like. He's so big that he must have conscious thoughts. I would feel bad doing it. Yeah, he's basically a land lobster. He's bigger than many lizards. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Okay, well, Kickstarter for housing (laughs) for our cockroach is coming. (laughs) The the, the last thing I'll just say about this gambling thing before we move on is that I think that I will agree with you that there is innovation to be done in the gambling space. Yeah. And that crypto companies should go all the fuck in because they have this new time where the rules are not quite set, you know, and each state is making their own rules. And so it could be that things like Augur, which is a prediction market, which right now can only be done through some sort of, it's like, you know, like when you sign up for something, they're saying you need a .edu email address to qualify as a student. It's kind of like that with prediction markets right now. If they could figure out a way to bust out a real prediction market that's popular, that's like a huge boon. So I, yeah. I think crypto really needs to rush into this space as hard as possible. I'm sure it will. Do you remember the first time you played, uh, what's that trivia game called on your phone? HQ. HQ Trivia. And you're like, holy shit, this yeah. is really fun. Can't believe there wasn't some thing where I like played against everyone in trivia. I think that we're waiting on the first prediction market that feels like that, yeah. where me and you are just making all kinds of fun bets and we open up in the morning and we're like, who are you backing in the next like Trump cabinet member to go, you know? Yeah, or like how many tweets will Trump put out today? Yeah. All that sort of stuff would be so fun. Can you imagine if it was like kind of like Reddit? You could start a like a, a, a gambling area on anything. There, there are communities that formed almost organically. Yeah. Betting around different things and you could check in on them and there'd just be lists of different bets that you could take either side of. Yeah. Or you could start your own bets. I mean, I, I think that's the idea of Augur. Yeah. And I'm very excited by it. I just am very unexcited to buy the Augur token until the Augur platform actually exists. Then I'll buy the fucking token. Before we finish up, I have to ask you, Jay. Now that the Supreme Court has said this is kosher, I know you're celebrating this decision. I also know you don't have any patches. But did you ever think, man, maybe it would be better if the Supreme Court totally outlaws gambling in America for my own future health as Jay <laughs> Kang? Well, like, I'm in the middle of one of the greatest bet- sports betting hot streaks of my life. Yeah. I think I've hit seven of the last nine. I've only missed two, and it might be even more than... Nine is a conservative estimate. I just asked you, do you think sports betting might destroy your life? And you're like, let me tell you how much I've been winning. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, which is all to say that right now, I don't think I'm the right person to ask because I'm like, sports bet- betting yeah. is amazing. But of course, I'm going to... you know, I'm yeah. sure I'll lose tonight because I said this. Yeah. But I don't know, man. If people really want to bet on sports right now, yeah. they can. Like, yeah. you know, you're not a deep gambler. You know how to bet on sports, I bet. Yeah, because it's mostly a tech hurdle, not a like yeah. a gambling. Like you could hurdle. turn around in that computer right now and you could do it. Like you yeah, know the steps already. Yeah. yeah I could. And anybody who really wants to bet whether or not they do through a bookie or whether they do it online, like everyone kinda can bet. And yeah. will this lead to a higher spike in activity? Probably. Uh, probably. But is that necessarily a fatal thing? No, I don't think so. I understand that you went on a uh, a field trip uh, this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Out in the world, Kang. Saturday, I was a guest. I climbed out of my apartment, got in my car, drove to beautiful Macebeth, New York, where I was a guest at the Ethereal Summit. Yes. Is it May? I thought it was Massbeth. Macebeth? I have no idea. Massbeth. So we've been getting asked a lot, are you guys going to consensus, which conference will we be be at? It's at Blockchain Week, 
right? This is blockchain week right now, It is right? blockchain week. And the answer generally is no, we are not going to any crypto conferences unless someone is paying us to go. Or we'll pay our fee and there's free food. Yeah, or or you offer and, enough food. And it's not in Midtown. And I do feel kind of bad about this. Like, I know that, you know, we're starting the show. We're supposed to be involved in the crypto community. But I've just... After the all the journalism conferences I've been to in my life, I just don't I don't have any bandwidth left to a, attend conferences. I just I, I can't. You've been to a lot of journalism conferences. Oh my god! I used to I used to go to like be on panels of journal. Dude, we were at we were at a, like the same journalism conference once. Don't you remember? Oh yeah, that's right in California. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you're like you've been to a lot of journalism conferences. I'm like Jay. Here are ten pictures of me and you at a journalism conference together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really go to them anymore, but there was a period of time where I'd go to them because people ask and then you'd feel bad saying no. Yeah. So what is Ethereal and what was it like? Okay, well, I will just say that I went to, full disclosure, I went to film a segment for Vice News Tonight, which yes. is the HBO show that I'm on. Work Kang. Work yes, Work Kang. And the piece that we were going to do is about art on the blockchain because there was an art auction there. Right. So but, we're talking like Crypto Kitties kind of stuff? Uh, Crypto Kitties. There were some paintings. Yeah, there was. I a, saw a delightful ho a hodel sculpture. I there think. was a hodel. I don't know if it's sculpture. It's kind of like wood blocks that were placed in a frame. I don't know. You're not sure you want to call it art. <laughs> no, no. Every I have a very big tent for what's art. It's yeah. fine. It's art. And there were some sculpture things that were actually kind of cool. But all that is separate from Ethereal, which is a massive conference in like this giant, giant space. Right. What is the relationship between consensus and Ethereal? Um, Any? Consensus put on Ethereal. Sorry, not consensus the company with a Y, consensus with a U, the conference. Oh, I think they're I think they're warring. So like they're, yeah. so like Ethereal was put on by consensus with a Y, the right. company that's in I think Bushwick. In Bushwick, yeah. yeah. So this space was actually somewhat close to theirs. Yeah, in Massbeth. I would say that there was probably like two to 3,000 people there. So it's like kind of like a Sundance, slam dance kind of thing? Well, it, it felt like a party. Yeah. You know, like you go to if, almost like an art opening where you go in and everybody is kind of nervous and nobody really wants to be there, but they're trying to make the best go of it that they can. Yeah. And like some people have dressed up and some people are overdressed. And then you can tell that some people need to be there. And then there are some people who are there for the free wine, right? Yeah. So that's like how an art opening happens. So you had this core group of people who are like, you know, like uh, the guy who was a co-founder of Ethereum. Yeah. All the guys who work with Consensus with a Y, the yeah. company, they're all there. Yeah. Like the founder of Crypto Kitties was there. Yeah. You know, so there are people who are sort of, they're crypto celebrities and there are people who are around them and they're having conversations about what the world of Ethereum is going to look like. And it was okay, but you yeah. know, it, it's like a lot of dudes. <laughs> Most of them are wearing shirts that look like, you know, like what Neil Strauss would suggest that they wear to like Peacock, you know, like the pickup uh, okay. artist stuff where yeah. they're like, you need to wear a loud print shirt. Did you see any funny hats? I did. Yeah. 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 So it's like all very pickup artist type clothing, which, you know, is off-putting a little bit. because Some fedoras. Because <laughs> when you can identify it, you're just like, oh, you're just really rich now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you bought that shirt and that app because of, yeah, like you don't want to talk to that person. Yeah. The food was pretty good, but uh, yeah, the, it was, it was, it was kind of an overwhelming experience and, but it did give you a very, very clear look at what the ETH world is going to be so like. So tell me about the coming ETH world. What can I expect? Well, it is very multicultural, I will say. Not in terms of actual different cultures because they're just like nerds, you know? But <laughs> so like actually monoculture. Zorks, dweebs. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of people, you know, it's very diverse racially, which was a very interesting thing uh, for interesting. any sort of tech thing. Yeah. There were actually some number of women there, but I think that a lot of them were either working for consensus with it a Y or they were there with somebody else. But the, but for example, like the woman, the, the art company that we were profiling for the show, like that was, that was started by a woman. So like there are women in the ETH space as well. So those are good. The, the bad parts are that I would say that there's a lot of hubris about it right now. Right. And that was very, very, very evident the entire time. 
I uh, briefly looked over the coverage of it, like who was speaking and some summaries of what people talked about. And it seems like a lot of the projects that give presentations at like a conference right now, like this, like everyone has the like 0.1 version of the project. I think like you, Joe is the music one. It reminds me actually, we were talking about Silicon Valley, you know, uh, the Chinese character who's just like cloning every internet site for the like Chinese market. Yeah, Jin Yang. Like, yeah, Jin, Jin Yang. It seems like a lot of like ETH world right now is like all of the major things that you know of that exist on the internet extremely rudimentary eth version of that yeah that's fair there's no revolutionary ideas that i saw yeah it was a lot of i'm going to take like it, it is essentially x but on the blockchain or yes. x with smart contracts it seemed like a lot of posturing in the idea where and this is true of all ethereum projects which is just that can you imagine this world and, the, and you know they stand on a stage and they have the big backdrop like Steve Jobs used to have like an Apple conference, you know, and they have all these logos in the background. Yep. And they're like, this is the world of Ethereum. And I kind of want to just be like, all those logos behind you, pick one and tell me which one has an actual product that I can look at at my phone or if I go to a computer that I can use in any way possible. And the answer seemed to be that none of these things are functional right now. And so in that way, it's a little bit, it's a little bit weird to walk around because uh, everything is still so speculative. I'm going to give you an um, experience in my own life that felt like this, and yeah. this was several years ago, and we can maybe talk about what developed after it. So the last idea that r reminded me of what you're describing was Kickstarter. And there's a way in which technology can spawn culture. So after Kickstarter came out, you started to see projects, forms of art, that were based on Kickstarter, based on the projects being yeah. like funded through Kickstarter. And I remember that I went to a conference called XOXO that's in Portland. I went to the very first one. And people were, I don't think it was actually really disparaging. People would sort of call XOXO like the Kickstarter conference. Lots of the projects were Kickstarter kind of projects. The founders of Kickstarter spoke there. And, you know, they had like, oh, a guy played music. And it's like, it's the song a day guy. And he like funded his album on it. I was kind of cynical, like I was like Kang without his patching about it, you know, because I was like, I like music and I don't want to like see the kind of music, like the kind of music that gets funded on Kickstarter sucks. Yeah. Gets all the music that's like, hey, could you like I'm doing a novelty thing, like put some money in my hat. You yeah, know? it's very uh, Garfunkel and Oates. Well, no, it's, but it's also, it's novelty music. But that's what Garfunkel and Oates is. Do you know what Garfunkel and Oates is? Uh, no. Oh, it's it is. It's like uh, it's uh, Kate McCucci and uh, I forget the other woman's name, but yeah, they do like joke songs. Joke, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot of that kind of stuff, and not not bad versions I, of that. I kind like Garfield kind of notes. Yeah, but yes, but I it's I don't I, I have a very limited appetite for that sort of so stuff. I agree with you. My question was like, when is this stuff gonna start interacting with the art and culture that I care more about? And I think it did over time. Like I've seen incredible documentaries that were funded on Kickstarter, but the first wave is always just kind of like placeholder stuff that fits into the keyhole that's been created by the technology. So when I'm I'm with you, I'm like, pick one. Like, what's the furthest along? Like, where can I see something actually new on Ethereum, not yeah. the Ethereum version of something else? And I'm sure that we're going to hear a bunch from people who are like, oh, it exists, it's blah, blah, blah. But that's the moment where I will start believing in Ethereum, I think. Okay, so my takeaway from all of this, first yeah. of all, was that, like, look, I didn't like the people around me, but that's not new. Like, yeah, I, I, I never... That's, I could, we could just, I could yeah. just have a soundbite of you and just play that every week. Yeah, exactly. Jay, how do you feel about Peru? <laughs> I did not like the people around me. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I've never been to Peru, so I don't mean to malign the, uh, preemptively yeah. malign the people of Peru, but yeah. that I, I'm sure it will apply. <laughs> But I will say that the one thing that I was actually excited, and this is this is a very strange thing to say, but I do think that the one project that is far along in the crypto space and Ethereum space is uh, CryptoKitties. CryptoKitties seem like a novelty, now seems prescient. It is the only thing that you can point to and say, this works, people use it, there is some store of value thing, and the idea of ownership on the blockchain is actually making sense to people in a way where like they are trading these things and basically trading the deeds to these things 
as if they were deeds to a house or something like that. Like the blockchain technology is working in this sort of way. Now, look, there's a billion articles written about the extrapolations of this, and nobody needs us to be the PR for CryptoKitty. But, yeah. you know, you, if you understand blockchain and provenance at all, you can sort of start to think about it. But they were by far the, the, the furthest along. They were also by far like the team there with the best PR people, you know, with, the, with sort of the most presence. Like everybody seemed to just be talking about CryptoKitties. So CryptoKitties is an ongoing project. I kind of thought that they just launched CryptoKitties into the world. And we're like, cool, peace, enjoy, breed them. No, but I think they're, they're they're like actively doing new stuff. Yeah, and, and they're getting they're like getting funding and money yeah, to yeah. like keep growing the game. Now, I don't know if the whole point will be the game. I really doubt it. But you know, the idea of creating digital collectibles, I think, is probably part yeah. of their short term goal. And then you have everything extrapolated down the line, all the way to like property rights or whatever. But right now, I think what they're trying to do is figure out: is there a way to make like a digital collectibles market that actually makes sense what do you think like the story of crypto kitties can tell us like where is it now as opposed to where it started you're you you hold crypto kitties right aren't you a part owner of a crypto kitty i have a quarter of a crypto kitty and i have well, tell I me have, about your crypto i kitty. have one and a quarter crypto does it have kitties. a name i think one of the producers on our show named it after me one thing i don't understand is you you're always in um ownership groups like weren't you yet last week you were talking about that you were gonna buy like a quarter of a green taxi medallion? <laughs> <laughs> like why what what stopped you from just getting one on your own? <laughs> you wanna uh, you wanna spread I, the risk out? You know what? I think that the one nice thing that has happened in my brain, which is like corrupted by gambling, yeah. is that something has happened where unless I have an enabler with me, yeah. it's very difficult for me to commit fully to it. So, for example, with crypto, you clearly are the enabler that okay. caused me to like buy a whole bunch of sh uh, cryptocurrency. So in some ways, <laughs> if you look at the, the, the chain reaction... I am also responsible for you getting the crypto kitty. Yeah. So yeah. if you so move, you should have you should half, be able to just yeah. throw a little you bit get, over here. Okay. You you could have ten percent of the, my stake of the crypto kitty. How about that? I like love you it. get an agent's well, fee. Okay. So tell me about this crypto kitty that I own ten percent of twenty five. <laughs> so I own two point five percent of this crypto kitty now. Tell me. I about actually it. know nothing about it. Nothing. Yeah. I Never think have you seen I'm it. I'm pretty sure it's worth like eighty dollars or something like that. It is blue. And it has no special features. And how did you get it? Did you mine it? Did you buy it? We bought it for the show. You bought it for the show. And yeah. so who's got, like, does it live in a wallet? Where does, where does it live? Um, yeah, it, there is an address. Uh-huh. Are you at all worried about someone in the team selling the crypto kitty out from under you and you never knowing? Well, look, I'm not going to say the person's name. Yeah. But if he did that, then, you know. Okay. It, it, like, it, there would be a war that went on that I don't think he wants. Now, follow. I think up. he listens to the show. Follow up so question: There was some sort of a art auction at Ethereal, yeah, and that included Crypto Kitties. Yes, that's what we covered. So, like, how many Crypto Kitties were for sale at Ethereal? One, just one. Yes, and and how much did it go for? Uh, a hundred and forty thousand dollars. So, what's so good about that Crypto Kitty as compared to the one that I own two point five percent of? <laughs> well, okay. Here, I don't know if it has, any, I'm sure that they imbued it with some of the special DNA stuff that can only be, you know, that is very rare. But the whole point of it. It's got that special sauce in it. <laughs> I can't wait for Crypto Kitty eugenics, you know, where, where, where somebody tries to upturn the general like uh, valuation of DNA there. And they're like, no, actually, we've been valuing the wrong type of DNA and that they just find something else. Either and that they or. They try and wipe out all the other remember, Crypto Kitties. Remember when we were talking about uh, Zappo apocalypse scenarios and how like the real fear is that someone is going to get like 5% of the Bitcoin of the world and become like a like tyrannical yeah. despot. I feel like a move there is to buy up all the crypto kitties in the world and then just publicly like destroy the keys to them. It's like, uh, the crypto kitties are extinct now. <laughs> <laughs> so you would do like a Kevin's gate of crypto kitties. Yeah. There'd be like one holdout. He'd be like, I won't sell my crypto kitty. I know you've been killing them. <laughs> well, actually, that's not a bad idea, honestly. Like, if I wonder if you could figure out if the the increased value from uh, the scarcity of a crypto kitty after a mass suicide of yeah. crypto kitties would be worth more than the cost of buying those crypto kitties. But are crypto kitties capped, or can you keep breeding they them keep in breeding. forever, Add like real cats? Them. Yeah, yeah. So what's the scarcity with crypto kitties? Well, they're DNA strands that can uh, be. You don't want like. Like my cats, like they've been bred into infinity. They're just like, like trash pandas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your, your cats 
are essentially <laughs> the exact what <laughs> what you have. 0.25% of yeah. <laughs> right now. You like think of your cat and that's how shitty the, the, the DNA of our cat is. My uh, co-host along for Max and I once were talking about like what the street value of his dog is. It's like a rescue dog. We, we just we decided it was ten dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have zero point or you have two point five percent of a very shitty trash. So what right like now. so my is it what is it, you got it pretty early on though? Like wh- I guess what I was wondering is like this one that Ended up being worth one hundred and forty thousand dollars. Like, what steps led to its value that did not lead to value for the one that you got? Oh, okay. Because so yours was an early crypto. They're completely separate, right? Okay. And that's one thing we should. I mean, I don't uh, that we should explain, which is that this one was specifically drawn for the auction, uh, and uh, it was drawn by the artist who does draws it. the crypto kitties, who I interviewed for our show, who's this French Canadian guy who is hilarious. You'll you'll see it in our segment, but uh, he the way that he explains each crypto kitty is very funny. Do you know I, when your segment's coming out? Okay, well, tw- uh, uh, if we if we are in time, we'll play a little clip of audio of it yeah. from the show. So this kitty is just a unique one off. It's not really from the wild. Yeah, it, and, it, it's and not they, a wild. It's not built, a real crypto. They kitty. built a Raspberry Pi wallet. Yeah, that they put in like a gigantic block, like they would protect like the Rosetta Stone or something like that. Yeah, and so it is kind of unique, and it is the first piece of digital provenance art that was auctioned off as uh, Mike Novogratz explained to me when I asked him why he was bidding so much money, that that's what you're buying. You're buying like a moment of history. That's how they're selling it. Do we know who won the auction? I have no idea, but like... It wasn't uh, Novogratz. There was someone... So in, someone outbid Novogratz for the case. On the internet, yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's not a bidding war I would want to get involved in. No, it was actually quite funny because, like, uh, so for people who don't, I went to the auction and uh, the Crypto Kitty went for $140,000. Actually, everything went for way too much money. I was going to say, you speculate in almost anything. Did you bid at all? Yeah, I actually, I bid. All right, let me just set the scene. There was an <laughs> au- auction and they had two things that I w- was interested in. The yeah. first was the Twitter fail whale. So it used to be when Twitter crashed, you would see like a whale that was being held up by. Little birds. Everybody yeah. has seen that image. And the artist who made that was saying that she had made that image as a card for her friend, but Twitter licensed it, and then billions of people saw it. And so she was very interested in the idea of ownership over a digital image because her own image had been replicated t- to a point that most people aren't. Yeah. And so it's almost like if you create a piece of stock art and then someone licensed it and it became the most viral piece of stock art ever, you'd be yeah. like, oh, I could have been rich. Yeah, or like uh, was like shown on Facebook every time something went wrong. Yeah, so that you had to see it. It's you like know? your stock art became the logo almost, or yeah. a part of the brand. So that that was actually quite interesting. I thought, which was a, uh, you know, and I wanted to buy that Twitter fail whale. Yep. And the auction booklet said it might go for around two to three thousand dollars. And I was doing calculations in my head, and I was like, look, a lot of dumb people in crypto with a lot of money. You know. Yep. Iconic image uh, that everybody. I can see so many tech people who will want this. Play your you know? opponent, not your hand. Yeah, and I was like, I, I think. I mean, don't you know people who would want uh, the first image of the Twitter fail? Well, I don't know because I, I think that that form of digital uniqueness and collectible hasn't been established yet. If it were established, I know some people who would pay stupid money for it. Yeah. Okay. So, but like, so three to two to three thousand dollars is like fine. Yeah. I mean, I gamble on much stupider things. So I was just bidding the whole time on that yeah. one. Like I just, I, it was actually very fun. Well, how did you, do you have like a little fan or something? No, what? I was like holding up, I was like shaking the program, you know, yeah. I was like. And, and the, some of these bidders were remote who were like. Yeah, yeah, they're on, on, the, the, internet. on the internet. And so it just shot up to like 5,500 and I was yeah. like, okay, less confident. And then I was like, all right, well, I'll just troll these people and just keep bidding them up because there's still so many people bidding. Now, you you described the strategy to me. This strategy could have led to you like paying like $20,000 for the fail well. <laughs> yeah, though, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> but I was trying to think about it, and I was like, I was like, well, it'll be funny if I keep bidding it up, you know? Yeah. And, I, and I'm relatively positive that I will not win it, you yeah. know? But then I thought back to my many fantasy baseball drafts where I do this and then I end up paying like $60 for a player that I don't want, you know? Yeah. And so around 5500 I think I started to chicken out. And also like someone could have dumped on you basically. Like if people saw you bidding it up willy-nilly, they might oh, they just not Oh, they definitely bid. could have dumped on me yeah. and then I get stuck paying like $8,000 for this 
Twitter fail well, and then I have to explain it to my wife. I, I, th- I thought you were going to be like, oh, I thought the show was paying for that. <laughs> yeah. you, I didn't buy it. Vice yeah. did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, maybe some of the stuff is silly, but it's creating the idea of digital unique assets that are collected like art. I can totally see that happening in the next few years. Yeah, and I can too, and I think this was a good start for it. And yeah. I think that basically, look, Mike Novogratz and... Uh, my, uh, for those who don't know, Mike Novogratz, like the number one crypto whale. He and whoever was bidding online, I'm sure that part of it was to, like, they don't give a shit about the money. They were trying to pump up the price so it was a news event, which it was. Yeah, you know? And I sure. think that for them, it's worth it because it makes a $100,000 investment on like something, on an asset class, which they own many, many, many millions of dollars of to make it seem cooler. Of course, yeah. that's worth it, you know? If you wanted to sell your CryptoKitty, is there like an online marketplace? For yeah, yeah they, you can just sell it on the CryptoKitties marketplace, oh, like okay. on the app itself. And, but, what, and how has CryptoKitties been performing like relative to like the price of Bitcoin? Um, I don't think it's really quite like that because it's essentially that you're playing a game and you're trying to spit out a unique result, right? But here's what I will say is that I thought that all of this was pretty cool. I think the idea of putting art on the blockchain is cool. I think proving provenance through of new art through the blockchain with that, instead of using these ridiculous auction houses, I also think that's cool. But there's one thing that bothered me about all of it that we should talk about, and I think it's like the one takeaway, which is like, do you actually think it is good for people to now start thinking about digital images in terms of provenance and ownership and value? Because the one thing I kept thinking about, right, was like the was the crying Jordan meme, for example, right? Yeah. Like if you own the original crying Jordan meme, and you're like trying to sell it, and everybody else is out there making their own crying Jordan crying Jordan memes, and you're getting rich off of it, and that you know, like I I don't know, there's something about it that takes away some of the fun of the meme economy. Yeah, not just memes, like the internet as a whole. I mean. There's software that allows you to pair media very easily, like matching two identical forms of media is easy. So for instance, in my case, I've had music that I've worked on with Francis and the Lights literally flagged on YouTube as and taken down off YouTube because TuneCore or the people who own the, who own the songwriting rights are basically like have a catalog of stuff and they're like, this can't be YouTube. Now, unfortunately, we are the people who own those rights through them. So it's a mistake. But you're going to see this stuff like you're already seeing this with like songs and various other digitally unique properties that you can basically ban from the internet. Uh, I have a friend who does like animation, design stuff and he's been in like a spat with Giphy guy named Pascal um, where he's like, look, you're like profiteering off of people's looping gifts, which you may like look at as like nothing, but this is like our art form basically. And then Giphy's defense is like, oh, we're not profiteering. We don't make any money. And it's like, well, you are like a company that takes investment. So you're at least trying to make money. I generally come down on liking the free, open, like don't take anything down off the internet, internet. On the other hand, I think that the idea of digital uniqueness could lead to situations where everyone gets to enjoy something for free and it gets funded through some collectible digital uniqueness. Like, we kind of broke the system when we went from analog to digital in the first place because we used to have something that was of value and now we don't have something of value. So if this can create, whether it's a system of first editions or whatever, it can create something unique and collectible out of art and media. I think that could be like some sort of an in-between ground that could be cool. Yeah, I guess I, I guess I just am a little bit too uh, influenced by you know my college reading of walter benjamin and you know are in the age of mechanical reproduction yeah and i think that we have finally gotten to the point where we can celebrate the propagation or the sort of proliferation of an image on the internet and sort of adjust it and that it goes through an evolution and it goes from like the first crying jordan and then by the end like you have like a overlays of crying Jordan on people's clothes that are like hard to see, you know, like you, you, you see that evolution. I think that's all good. I think some of that would be hampered by the fact that some people wouldn't want to participate in it if somebody owned it, you know, and that somebody was getting rich off of it. It feels like there's a tax to pay when you're doing it because you're doing it so that somebody else is benefiting it from it. And if you take out all the benefit from it, then I think you have basically the meme economy that we have right now. And I think that this endangers that a little bit. They would say, like, look, like no one's going to try and buy a meme and put it on the blockchain. And I'm like, 
No, that's actually exactly what they're going to do because why wouldn't they? It, it made me feel very conflicted both ways. I don't, I'm not really like deep in memes and internet shit like that. So, like, if you tell me it has like a negative impact on the meme economy, you're not like scaring me very much. Really? But I think about this a little bit in terms of like how high fashion works, where you create a brand by creating these like one off couture pieces and these things that are insanely expensive. And then you sell like consumer goods, like a belt or a perfume, and those are accessible to like ordinary people. And we've always had this totally flat system with everything digital, where it's like it's either totally free and bootlegged or it's like totally like locked off and walled off. And this seems to to me like it create a system where everyone can have access to something potentially at a free tier. I don't know if there's a free tier with CryptoKitties. Uh, like, can you? How no, do you, no, you can't no. get a free one or at like a, you know, an entry level price. And then if you want to go totally crazy and get the like, you know, most rare Yeezys, you know? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it is, it, I will say my objecting is very theoretical. It is like basically a philosophical problem with it, um, which I think is somewhat important, but uh, I will not stay so committed to. Like, I actually think that the benefits of this stuff is pretty good. Can I throw out a theme before we finish up that I want to come back to on this show, which is we generally talk about crypto as a way to create digitally unique money that can be only spent once and held in a wallet. And what this digitally unique artwork is, is a different idea about uniqueness that's not money. You could still be doing you know, regular US dollars to buy and sell it. It's the blockchain is securing the art itself. And I think we're going to see more and more ideas that are divergent between these two paths. And this other path, this art path, might bring in a totally different crypto audience that could inject a different culture into it, I think. Yeah, or even people who do things like photo licensing and stuff like that. Yeah. But the, here's the thing that I'll just end with with, the thought I'll end with with all this, which is like, I read an article about this stuff, about art on the blockchain, and the argument that the author was making was essentially that it is not good to further commodify art, right? Like, you don't want to put it on the blockchain because that makes it even more in the realm of money. And so I had two thoughts about that. The first was like, look, that's a bit of a canard because it just because it's on the blockchain and you associate the blockchain with Bitcoin doesn't mean that the art suddenly is becoming Bitcoin, you know? Also, like, art would be better without commerce is like, uh, thank you for this uh, 2,000 years of this cliche. Like, Yes, yes. <laughs> that, this is the argument that I've been having in this group chat that got me triggered all today, which I was like, you know, like, they're being... Uh, anyway, it's not important. The point being, yes, we have about 30 years where the entire art world has only been about rejecting this sort of distinction, you know, where, yep. where like, people like Takashi Murakami are just making fun of the distinction 30 constantly. years, 2,000 years. People have been like dealing with... No, no, with... no. I'm just talking about a concentrated area where there's almost no art except the art that makes oh, fun yes, of this. Oh, yes, yes, uh, yes, it, yes. It makes fun of that sort of distinction. Sure. And so that was my first reaction, which would just be like, that seems like a very staid type of thing to say. And also, that's not really how the blockchain and everything works. But the second thing I will say that I did think about was that like, it does... Op when I talked to the woman who started this idea, uh, some of her ideas were extremely, extremely... I will just say, like, uh, like cynical and cutthroat, right? So, for example, one of the big benefit features is that you could take a pay take and you could split it into 10 pieces and ownership pieces, <laughs> and you could own a tenth of a pay take. That's and like your dream scenario. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then I was like, I asked her, I was like, okay, so that's great. Like, you know, you could take a pay take, and, 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 and I was like, so who gets to hang it on their wall? And yeah. she was like, well, you could... Off, she was Australian. She was like, wow, you can figure out like a... T uh, I don't know if this is an Australian accent, uh, but... Uh, <laughs> I don't know what towards what race, but that was racist. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, you can figure out a, uh, you know, a share. And I was like, a 10-part sh share in a painting? <laughs> like, <laughs> Let me throw back a different yeah. idea, though. Art and commerce have always been intertwined. New forms of technology and commerce create new kinds of art. Yeah. So... If I heard what you just said, I would go, whew, well, people will start making art that's more interesting to subdivide or create art that's like, hey, this is an edition of 10, right? We're, we're only selling it as one thing. You can split it up into, into up to 10 parts and those 10 people are allowed to display this. Like the way a software license Yeah, works. and also- and I just like, bought Ableton Live and it comes with two installations of yeah, Ableton yeah, yeah, Live. Yeah, no, no, I'm, and I'm with you. And I think that like there's a woman there who- 
had made these like digital frames that actually yeah. look kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, like, they're starting um, to look cool. And I think you're right. I think that w- there will be divisible forms of art that, you know, are at first I bet making fun of that idea of divisible art, but then yeah. something interest co- interesting comes out of it. Honestly, at the end of that auction, I kind of wish that I was much richer and I, cause I would have bought everything, I think. Yeah. It's just like, look, if this is the start of an artistic movement that is fueled by really, really rich people right now and has a lot of really dumb guys who got really rich. Like, that's the actual ideal art market that you want to be in, you know? Like, that's kind of like what street art was like 10 years ago, where, like, a bunch of dumb rich guys were buying all of it, and then some people got super rich. I'll be looking at who the gallerists become, like, who becomes the middleman for this art, because I think they're really going to define It's the all market. internet. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be digital, potentially even decentralized, Yeah, like, people selling it, and in the same way that being a gallerist in Soho in 1982 allowed you to dictate what became valuable in art in the next 20 years. I think whatever starts moving and being pushed, whatever becomes the Supremes of, of digital online art and that kind of thing will actually, yeah, I, I'd buy too. I'll buy a 10th of whatever, uh, art Kang industries you're trying to set up. <laughs> well, the guy who bought those fail whale was, a uh, runs a podcast called art on the blockchain. And, uh, his name is DJ J Skrilla or something like that. And I was talking to him and he was, I was like, can I buy that off of you? And he was like, absolutely not. Uh, Novogratz uh, said, uh, I was asking him, I was like, I was like, wow, $140,000. And he was like, you know, I think the person who bought it got a good price. Like, I actually think it's probably going to be worth a lot more than that. And I was like, well, why don't you just bid more? <laughs> he said he capped himself at $100,000. I kind of agree with him. I just feel like that as bearish as I am in all crypto, I'm kind of very bullish on the art that was sold at this auction. Okay, here's what I'm going to say. We'd love to talk to some artists on the show who are creating art that is blockchain-oriented. Send us an email, hi at cointalk.show. If you're a gallerist or if you're just interested in this stuff, if you buy and collect this stuff, that would be interesting to talk about. And I'm going to say, Jay, I think we got to start hoarding some art down here. Yeah. We gotta, look, if you want to, if you want to trade a sponsorship for some digital unique art, we're very open. As Jay has said, quality is not an issue. Oh yeah, actually, that's a good idea. We yeah, <laughs> we accept we accept crypto. Yeah. U.S. dollars and uh and and, and digital unique art, digital Bitcoin, yeah, blockchain. And art. if you think that we're not savvy enough to pump a digital artist, you're wrong. Yeah, or ethical. <laughs> we would, <laughs> We're too ethical we to pump a digital artist. We would love to start shilling your weird hodl art. Yeah, all right, cool. All right, cool. We um, have a new industry here. I did tease one thing that I need to clear up at the end of this show, which is that I'm back in the sumo game. Oh, yeah. I bought back in high. <laughs> right when it started spiking, I was like, People kept asking me about it, and I was like, oh, I'm going to feel so bad if it, like, moons and I don't own any. <laughs> who are the people who are not me who are asking people you about Sumo? People who listen to this show. <laughs> so, and I kept seeing people tweeting about it. I feel like it. you're spreading around blame right now. Like, I feel like you should just own this. Like, it, I don't know if people are, how many people were asking you about Sumo, That honestly? crypto Steve Zisu dude is oh, really into really? Sumo now, and I follow him, so I see him talking about it. So, I'm back in the game. My bag's not as big as it once was. But, uh, you know, I'm a sentimental um, bag holder. Did you have to log into Cryptopia to buy it? I did. And eat your hearts out, hackers. There's a bag waiting for you if you can get into my Cryptopia account. Yeah, just for context for those who don't listen, Aaron's uh, Cryptopia account is attempted to be hacked about once a week, I would say. Uh, I'd say the password gets reset several times a day, actually. (laughs) I don't understand why Cryptopia doesn't just go like, enough. (laughs) <laughs> like we've sent out 10,000 password reset emails, um, but no one's gotten in because the, the bag is still there. I do. Th- I think there's a sumo desktop wallet. So maybe I'll try and figure uh, that out. But I kind of like to, you know, live dangerously. It puts a little thrill in my life. Well, uh, congratulations. I am going to say that you are, I, I before was willing to uh, recognize your title as sumo baron, yep. but I no longer recognize your sumo baron title. Would you, you allow me like su- no, sumo no. merchant? No, uh, you're you're a plebe. Sumo priest. You are a plebe. No, not priest. <laughs> <laughs> Just like talking about the hierarchy in society. Yeah, you're feudalism. a serf. You're you are a serf. No, I'm, a, I have lands. I can't be a serf. You're a sumo serf. I might. You could say it that. Is, I, it is not about how much sumo you own. I'm it a is free. About I'm a free farmer. I own my own farmer on the edge 
no, of the Lord's no. territory. I'm not giving you a free I farmer. I trade in eggs, hogs, and other goods. Someday, I do hope to become a feudal lord myself. I'll say that the, this is the most I'll do for you. Yeah. Is that I will say that you, you can be like a small, small time egg merchant. Okay. Uh, I am uh, the sumo egg plug <laughs> from now on. If I do well enough, I could be like uh, upgraded to a like uh, regional manager of some kind. Yes, yes. This episode of Coin Talk was taped Tuesday, May 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Bitcoin price index was $8,726. Coin Talk is brought to you in partnership with Medium. I'm Aaron Lammer. My co-host is Jay Kang. Our editor is James Nicholson. Uh, we try and get as many shows as we can to you. Earlier this week, we had a uh, book club where we read the first part of Safadine Amus's The Bitcoin Standard, chapters one through three. Next week, we'll have another book club episode that'll be on chapters four through seven and another episode with a guest and all kinds of stuff. You definitely want to subscribe to the show. You definitely want to give us a good rating on iTunes. And hey, if you want to sponsor this show, you can. Hi at cointalk.show. We've got uh, various different levels. So hey, send us an email. We'll work something out. We'll give you a good deal. We're looking to get some sponsors here. Get us some money so we can buy more of the shit coins and talk about them on this show, which will be back next week.